Purple, get ready to roll in D. This is the College and Kimball Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart. It is a bye week for your Kansas State Wildcats, which currently sit atop the Big 12 standings at 3-0, having disposed of Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and Iowa State. A very well-deserved week of rest forthcoming for players and coaches alike. You certainly hope that the players are using this time to recuperate, to get the mind right, to get the body right as we get set to head down what is going to be the defining stretch of the season for this team. It has been a fun ride to date. All three phases have contributed in key spots for this group in this 5-1 and one start. I'm very much looking forward to introducing my guest for this midseason review. He doesn't need much of an introduction, though. You no doubt follow him on Twitter. You have seen his post on K-State Online. He is Jimmy Goheen, better known as KSU underscore fan. Jimmy, I cannot thank you enough for being willing to give me some of your time here to discuss the advanced numbers, not just for this Kansas State squad, but also the Big 12 as well. Let's go ahead and dive into the offense, though, for the Wildcats. I imagine that's where most K-State fans are really going to be focused on. And I will tee this up by saying I know most people did not care for Courtney Messingham, But if you do look at last year's advanced stats and success rate, among other metrics, this offense was really pretty respectable at at staying on the field, at extending drives, at finishing drives. And that's really what a lot of the numbers do look at. If you are constantly ahead of the chains, if you are able to convert move sticks and so forth, it's it's a measure more than anything else uh, of, of dominance, I guess, is your, your way of going out and consistently executing. You obviously will, won't get dinged if you hit an explosive here and there. But again, these numbers are really focused in on what offenses are consistently generating first downs, gaining the necessary and available yards and doing it in a, a methodical fashion. And to that point, not surprisingly, with an NFL draft pick back there in Skylar Thompson, this team was far more reliable, at least in the passing game, when you had a guy out there who was reasonably sharp in the, the short and the intermediate and, and was also a guy who knew this offense pretty well, had had the same offensive coordinator now for several years and had plenty of experience in the system. You fast forward to this year. New OC in Colin Klein. You have Adrian Martinez coming in from Nebraska. He holds all of these records. And the the offense really, I, I think, has taken a step back. I, I know, again, we, we, we've hit some explosives here and there in the run game, and, and most recently against Iowa State had a couple of bombs, obviously, in the passing game. But it's still, it's a group that's left quite a bit to be desired in my estimation. But I'll just go ahead and turn it over to you and, and let you start breaking down some of the, the key metrics surrounding this K-State offense. I like points per drive is one of my favorite numbers as far as looking at if, uh, how you're scoring. And last year we finished 33rd in the country. And, you know, part of that was inflated, I would say, a little bit from the LSU game since they were missing a bunch of guys. But still, I think we were legitimately top 40. And this year right now we're sitting at 77. And uh, almost every major category um, – as I look at uh, success rate stats, explosiveness stats, uh, most categories we've dropped, 
you know, some of them 40 some spots. Um, so right now, I, I mean, I think part of that was inflated by how bad we were against Tulane, who I think is a solid defense, but not nearly as good as we made them look. Sure, sure. And I think, you know, there were even a few growing pains in the first couple games. And I think, you know, that's to be expected with a new quarterback, even an experienced one and a new offensive coordinator. But, uh, yeah, the offense has dropped off a bit. I think we will see it get better. I think uh, Martinez is legit, legitimately a good player. And, uh, but I do, I do think on top of that, um, some of the injuries on the offensive line have not helped out as well. So, you know, we've we've seen a little bit of a drop on offense, maybe a little bit more than I expected, but uh, as as far as when I look at the context of the season, maybe not as much as as maybe um, people people might, you know, people fans tend to overdo it when they react. But uh, like like I said, it's 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 worse than than I would hope, but I think we'll get better as the season goes on. Obviously, that's the hope, and I guess uh, as far as the way that the season is trending, I I think we're all pretty well dialed into the fact that we're going to see a lot more design quarterback run because I think Colin and company clearly realize that Martinez and his legs and his straight line speed is is far too big of a weapon to be to be wasting and whatnot. So, uh, I, I guess uh, what's what's a good benchmark that fans should hope to look for in terms of the improvement in some of those key numbers like what what would be a good number to hit as far as some of those numbers you talked about points per drive uh, being the main one good good question last year we finished just below 2.7 points per drive and that was good for number 33 in the country right now we're sitting at 2.16 which is 77th Um, i I would hope we could get that number up around 2.5 to 2.6 I'm not sure we're going to surpass last year's 2.69, but uh, to get that number up would be a big one. Uh, the second number I look at is uh, last year our success rate, um, and that that has to do with how many yards you gain on first down. First down, you want to gain at least five yards. Second down, you want to gain at least 75% of the yards available. Third down, of course, you want to gain all the yards available as far as down and distance go. Last year, our success rate was 47.2%, which was number 27 in the country, really which is pretty, really, really solid. Right now, we're sitting at 42.6%, which is 71st. Um, and I would hope we could get that to more like 45%. And uh, and then that would go, you know, that would lend itself to third down conversion rate, which has been pretty poor, especially third and shorts, um, you know, especially in the Tulane game and last week against Iowa State. Um, that was a pretty bad number. Uh, another thing to look at that that has to improve is we are currently last in the country in pass explosiveness, pass play explosiveness, 131 in the country. Last year we were 53rd, um, which you know obviously you want to make an improvement there. But the other the other side of that is is we're top 10 in run explosiveness right now, and last year we only finished number 80 in run explosiveness. So. Um, we, we've seen bigger plays in the run game. Um, even with those two big pass plays against Iowa State, we're still last in the country in, in pass explosiveness. So that's something that I think we've got to get um, improve, improve upon as the season goes along. And I, and I think we will. 
Um, and, and part of that, I think, is the nature of how people defend us uh, as well. So we'll see how that kind of shakes out. For the uninitiated, the the explosive rate, uh, we're talking about chunk plays here, but uh, could you define what that those statistics mean for those that are checking you out on Twitter and yeah. seeing those graphics, what run explosive yes. and pass explosive means? That, it's, it's a tougher um, – this, and this is where I like – when I make my stats, I like them to be kind of tangible that you can understand them. Sure. Um, these these numbers I'm using are, are from collegefootballdata.com, which uses um, – um, their explosiveness comes from EPA, which is a um, kind of an efficient – an offensive and defensive efficiency number that's a little more arbitrary because like the numbers 1.4 or 1.5 or, you know, they're kind of a different number, but it's based on EPA is a, is a kind of an arbitrary number based on where your, where your uh, line of scrimmage is compared to the likelihood to score on that play. And then EPA uh, explosiveness takes that number and then factors in, explosive and big plays into that EPA number. So like I said, it's a little more arbitrary. I put out a stat today, which is percentage of plays that got 10 yards, percentage of plays that got 20 yards, percentage of plays that got 50 yards, which is to me is a little more tangible. But on the other hand, I think this EPA measure is probably a more accurate number as far as what true explosiveness is based on you know, pretty advanced uh, mathematical concept to measure that. So, but, but like I said, it's hard to grasp mentally if you just look at 1.11 as the worst passive explosiveness in the country. Most people don't get that, but I, I get, that's why I went with the ranking because that helps me understand it better even because I, EPA is, is a, is a, a thing proposed by like uh, stats of war on Twitter. Parker. I was just about to say, he's, he's a bit, He's a big EPA guy, and I think it's a great number. But like I said, sometimes I, I even I have trouble with these more arbitrary stats that that I can't visualize on the field. Yeah. So whenever you're checking out those game previews, and I always feel like his numbers are a little, they just seem a little higher when he's talking about like the projected mm-hmm. score and everything. And I just always want because uh, I think he had the Iowa State K State game pegged at like 31 to 29 based off yes. of those numbers. So those always seem a little bit inflated, but there's a lot more obviously that goes into the, to the calculate <laughs> into the calculus yeah. there. So, to yes. speak. but um, as far as K-State's offense though, the, the, the good news is I feel like you're, you're going to be running up against some defenses here. You, you've gotten the toughest one out of the way with, with Iowa yeah. state and you're going to be now granted. You've also gotten Oklahoma <laughs> who is just looking like an absolute train wreck right now, but they're still, Kansas, West Virginia, Baylor's looking a little bit more suspect than I think a lot of people kind of expected as well. So if you look at their defensive points per drive allowed, K-State's going to have some opportunities to, to make some strides there. And again, I, I would certainly hope that the offense continues to, to, to progress forward. I think we saw some, some, some signs of life against that Iowa state team that I don't know a lot of people really expect uh, Frankly, I was expecting it to be a whole bunch of three and outs and maybe two or three sustained drives, but K-State actually did reasonably good at possessing the ball, moving the chains and whatnot, but they got, they ran up against a couple of third downs when Iowa State just 
straight up one, they, they created a lot of negative plays as well. So credit to them on the havoc rate front. And I, I guess that's, that's my next question as far as the defensive side of the ball goes. Uh, and you put out the, your player statistics for havoc rate. Uh, first off, let's go ahead and just define what havoc rate is and, and how good has this K-State defense been thus far at creating those havoc plays? Yeah, we, we are, uh, overall, we're at 18.2% in a, in, a, in a Havoc play, which is almost exactly what we were last year, which is pretty pretty funny. Um, it's a little less than I thought, but I'll get into that a little bit more. But a Havoc play is a tackle for loss, um, a pass breakup, an interception, or a forced fumble. And, and there were debates on Twitter and KSO today with some K-State fans about well, shouldn't you weigh a sack more than a pass breakup? And 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 I and I get some of that, but really, havoc rate was was kind of formulated by Bill Connolly, who's kind of mm-hmm. one of the the advanced stat gurus, because he could he thought, well, what are the key disruptive plays a defensive player can make or a defensive team can make? And those were kind of the four he settled on. He thought about. And this is a little bit more complex, but he thought about quarterback hurries as well. But it's it's somewhat subjective on how that stat is uh, um, placed by st- statisticians from team to team. So he kind of threw that one out um, as, a, as a havoc stat. But anyway, his deal was I want something that's easy to kind of pull from box score data that you don't have to subjectively define and and move around and he settled on havoc and I, and I think it's a really solid stat to to kind of define how disruptive a defense is and how well you are you know keeping defenses from being disruptive against your offense as well which I think is important so I think it's a good I mean it's not an end-all be-all stat but I think it is a good informative stat on uh, looking at it kind of what disruption your defensive causing is causing. And like I said, K-State is at 18.2% right now, which is only 53rd in the country, uh, but they're top 20 to top 30 in, in most of the stats I really look at, which is really good and and, and better than last year's defense. <coughs> Sorry about that. And one of the guys who's been a, a big bright spot has been Austin Moore. Uh, frankly, I, I did not expect to be getting anywhere near the level of production out of him that we've gotten just purely in terms of tackles, but to, to see him actually making plays in the backfield and, and creating, he got the interception in the tech game. He's just been everywhere. That's, that's why yes. he's affectionately known as the machine, but I guess uh, relative to, to K-State linebackers here in recent history, how, how does his production thus far stack up? I, I know Daniel Green's obviously going to be there running right, right alongside him, but <laughs> we really haven't had too many great linebackers here in recent memory that I can, that have been producing the way that he has. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right on that one. Um, Daniel Green was third in Havoc last year for K-State at 16 total and 1.23 per game. And halfway through the season, Austin Moore's at 11 and 1.83 tied for the team lead with Felix. So, I was, you know, I, this usually I, I do havoc every week, but I hadn't for some reason I hadn't got to it yet until this week, and I was actually pretty shocked that Austin Moore was tied for the lead for K State. 
Um, that many havoc plays is pretty impressive. Seven tackles for loss, three pass breakups, one interception in six games is a pretty good number for any linebacker. And, uh, you know, he's he's double Daniel Green so far this year. So I was pretty impressed with that. I don't know if that's because, you know, opponents are focusing on Daniel Green and, and you know, give you got to give Austin more credit. He's obviously taking advantage of the situation he's been put in. Um, but um, I think a lot of us as K-State fans were pretty concerned going into the season about the disruptiveness of our linebacker core besides Daniel Green. And clearly Austin Moore stepped up and become a pretty dynamic player at that spot. Not just a, a capable player, but a dynamic player, which is pretty impressive. And I wanted to also talk about our secondary. Again, that was we've we've been really so fortunate here, not just this season, but if you think back to last season too, with what you got out of Russ Yeast when we we really yes. didn't know what kind of level of production we would get out of him. You get a first team all Big 12 caliber safety and an NFL draft pick. And, and this year it's looking like very much the same. So credit to Van Malone and the and the coaches that were identifying that talent and the back end there. But I, I guess by by your measure here, and I guess this is a little bit subjective here, but who's performed the best on the back end thus far? And I know it's kind of difficult to to peg it because sincere Mason also was a guy who got a lot of snaps initially, but he's been a little dinged up. So just who do you feel like is giving K-State the, the, the best play right now in the secondary? Well, I mean, cl- clearly the, the top one would be Josh Hayes. I mean, he's, he's third on the team right now in Havoc at, uh, 6.5, 1.3 per game, um, 4.5 tackles for losses, and two pass breakups. Um, so that's pretty impressive. Kobe Savage has been solid as well. He's fifth on the team in Havoc, uh, has the two picks and a forced fumble. So that's pretty impressive. And two tackles for loss. So you have them. And then Brent's, you know, is kind of next on the list. So you have three secondary guys in your top six on Havoc, which is a pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Um, when you look at last year, you know, Rush East was second on the team with 16.5 Havoc plays and 1.27 per game. And then fourth was Stubblefield uh, with nine Havoc plays total. So um, those three really have stepped up, Hayes, Savage, and Brents, and, uh, you know, been pretty impressive. You know, I think, you know, the, the other concern going into the season was safety. And if we could match last year's play, um, with, you know, K-State often having three safeties on the field. And, and you could almost say they've surpassed last year's production from that spot, which is not something I really expected going into this season. It was certainly a big question mark. I think everybody was kind of holding their breath. Everybody felt pretty comfortable about, obviously, Brent's and Echo. And you just kind of wondered, man, if, if we can hit on at least one of these guys. But he, even Drake Cheatham's been more than – serviceable on the back end there yes I, I i don't even think i guess i don't really need to ask about felix because he's top on the team in <laughs> havoc but i guess relative uh, how far back do your numbers go and i guess where would he stack up in terms of overall defenders here in recent memory that that's a good question i, I i've only been doing this a couple years so i mean he's he's definitely um, on the pace to to be, you know, a dominant Havoc player. 2020, 
Wyatt Hubert was our leader at 1.6 per game. Like I said last year, Felix was at 1.7 per game. This year, he's at 1.8 per game. So, you know, and that's per game. I think you should probably do per snap, but that's a little tougher to find those numbers. But he's gotten better. You know, he's he's gotten better from last year when he was an impressive player. And I think he's showing why, um, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, I don't follow draft speculation a lot, but I've heard he's mentioned as a top five to ten guy already. So I, I think he's definitely earning, you know, that that projection as, as a guy that because he's such a dynamic playmaker, um, athlete-type player, that he will be an NFL player. Um, and probably be and has a good chance to be an NFL star just because of what he can do. I've been saying for for countless weeks now that I was a young and dumb teenager and didn't appreciate L. Roberson and Darren Sproles when we have, and I feel like Felix is probably would, would it be fair to compare him to Darren Howard? Because if you look just in terms of like yeah. the all time sack leader, I feel like that's the most adequate comp I can come up with. I think I think that's fair. I, I need to go back and see if we have good stats from '98. I don't know. If, I don't know if we have uh, all the all the stats, but I think I think they're probably pretty solid. I'll have to compare what his havoc rate was and how many havoc plays he had total and per game, just to compare them. Because I think he's going to be on par with with Darren Howard. I, I was, you know, I was in college when Howard was playing, and he was. He was the freak, so I, I think Felix is definitely in that conversation for sure. Yeah, Snyder didn't play a whole lot of kids as freshmen, and I remember Darren Howard coming onto the scene quite quickly in, in his career, and, and he had a very lengthy NFL career. So, And hopefully we get the same out of Felix. It's been awesome to see him just grow and develop into the, the monster pass rusher that he is. And, when you get, and currently when you get mentioned in the same company as Will Anderson, you know, there's, there's a reason why he's – going to be one of the most sought after pass rushers in, in this upcoming NFL draft. Yeah. Just a couple more uh, overall on the defense. Uh, I, I was curious about the, the yardage rate stat, because I know this yep. one is a little bit challenging because I, I don't know, do, do your numbers weigh penalty yardage or do you just purely account for yardage gained by opposing offense? No, I, I think they just, it just accounts for yardage gain. And I think the theory on that, this was, this is, Yardage rate is really a Brian Freema stat, bcftoys.com. Um, and uh, I've, I've talked to him about it um, just on Twitter and DMs. And the theory is kind of the penalty yardage evens out because you're going to have offensive penalties and defensive penalties. And generally, over the course of a season, they're going to even out enough that your yardage rate is going to be a pretty accurate number of, of what you're actually allowing. Last year, K-State's yardage rate was 45%. This year, it's under 39%. Uh, we've, we've gone from number 49 in the country to number 21 in the country. So it's been a pretty impressive improvement. Um, the success rate allowed last year was 41%, which was number 50. And, and right now, it's at 37%, which is number 25 in the country. So we've made 20 spot, 20 plus spot jumps in both yardage rate and success rate, which is really, um, I think, kind of the key to, to the improvement we've seen on the defense, especially uh, against the pass. So um, 
this is legitimately the best defense in the Big 12, I think, right now, and one of the top 10 to 15 defenses in the country, which I thought we would be good defensively, but I don't know that I quite expected us to be uh, top 10 good. So we'll, we'll see if that continues throughout the rest of the Big 12. But it's been a pretty impressive jump by Klanderman and his group. Yeah, it's amazing how quick the guys adapted to that three-three-five, And I honestly, I think the big thing last year was just them going through that, that hellish stretch right out of the gate when they yeah. were still kind of feeling out the system and learning where to be. And now yeah. you can, you can clearly see the confidence that comes just by being able to play fast. You already know your assignments. You're not worried about pre-snap and post-snap alignment. You just dudes know where to be. And that's why this, this unit has been so rock solid here. And, and honestly, just looking at conference only stats, I saw K-State still tops in that metric as well. And, and looking down the road also, I see Oklahoma state down at the bottom of the barrel and yardage rate on defense at 72%. Yeah. That's uh that's a bit of a, a surprise to me with them bringing in Derek Mason to take over. And I know everybody was spoke so highly of Jim Knowles as their DC last year. And he goes to Ohio state and everybody was kind of expecting Oklahoma state to take a little bit of a drop off just by losing Malcolm Rodriguez and so many of the key players that they had. But I, I guess I, I asked those questions about Oklahoma state because right now I, I think they're the team that a lot of people are sleeping on, but just looking at your numbers, th there might be, some L's forthcoming and, and candidly just seeing that number makes me think hmm, this Saturday against TCU, a team that is with Sonny Dykes offense, that's really good at creating explosives. There might be an L coming up for Mike Gundy here. And it may be a couple more after that. Yeah. I, they're currently 28th in the uh, F plus defensive ranking, um, which is a pretty significant drop from last year's team, which was top 10 and, dominant top 10 so i i do think you know it, it's kind of funny that you know oklahoma state it's kind of back to what you would expect from a gundy te gundy team they have a top 20 offense but still a very good defense top 30 is not bad at all um it will be interesting to see how that shakes out because i don't know that they've faced a lot of really good offenses yet either so um as they face the top offenses in the league um like texas like TCU, uh, even Oklahoma, pretty solid offense. <clears throat> Will they continue to keep that defensive ranking or not? Um, they definitely have had, a, a, I think, a significant drop-off on defense. <clears throat> but maybe their offense is good enough to keep keep them in the, in the swing of things. And, you know, that's that leads us kind of, you know, I just will throw out there the, the numbers, the metric numbers Texas is putting up, number five in the F-plus and uh, top 10 – Offense and a top 15 defense is, you know, pretty impressive, uh, even though they have two losses. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out as well. So Texas could be another, you know, the Texas's back conversation is something we seem to have every year. And right now, this looks like the most Texas's back team that we've seen in a long time. So we'll see how that shakes out, though. Yeah, they might have actually earned that moniker because they are right now the tops at least conference only stats i'm looking at the graphic you tweeted out a, a couple of days earlier tops in the conference and in, in, in big 12 games only 3.7 points per drive on offense and then second yeah. in the conference and 1.89 points allowed and that's also factoring in you're, you're granted you've gone up against west virginia but you've also gone up against tech as well so yeah a, a reasonably uh, explosive offense there uh, in lubbock and i, I guess 
a couple more before I cut you loose here. Who do you honestly think, and I know we're still very much early stages. We've only seen some teams that have played two, three conference games, but just based off of what we've seen to date, who do you feel is the team? And, and maybe we've already answered that. Maybe it is Texas this year, but who do you feel is likely going to be the two teams left standing here by seasons and just based off of what we've seen on the field? Yeah. Besides Texas and Oklahoma state, the other team I'd throw in there is TCU just because of the explosiveness they have on offense. Um, leading in both rush and pass. Um, I do think their defense is suspect. They're 54 on defense in the F plus. Um, so that, and they've given up a lot of explosives as well. So, um, but, but it will be interesting to see how TCU shakes up out as the season goes on because they've obviously off to a pretty good start. They haven't played a, a ton. We'll find out a lot more about them this weekend, of course. Um, but, but that would be the other team besides Texas, Oklahoma State, and really us that I would throw in. Um, Baylor, you know, they've get, they're have they decent in the metrics, and they're actually 20th in the F+, but I'm not sold on Baylor. I wasn't sold on Baylor going into the season just because they lost so many dynamic players on both sides of the ball going into the season, but they still have good metrics right now, so we'll see if, if that continues. But, you know, I, I would really put Texas, Oklahoma State, K-State, and TCU as the – is the teams to beat as far as, as the four most likely to be in Arlington come uh, December. And this is one I've, I've been meaning to ask you for a long time. I know there are so many advanced numbers out there and you, you talked about Bill Connolly and I, I, I admittedly took way too long to start tracking that. I think I got in on that maybe about 2015 is when I really started looking at some of the, the uh, advanced box scores that he would put out and whatnot. But Whose numbers do you, I guess, do you trust the most? Is it is it stats more, or do you prefer another rating system? I I, I would say it's the F plus, which is Conley and Fremont's combined number. I I like uh, Conley. I still appreciate a lot um, since he's become a employee of the mothership. He's not nearly as approachable as he used to be. You used to be able to just send him a, a DM and he would share all his data with you uh, with a spreadsheet, which was kind of cool. Um, but but I appreciate Freemaw because Freemaw has all his stuff for free on bcftoys.com. I think it's a solid system. Um, it's, in some ways, sometimes I think Bill Connolly weighs success rate too much um, because I, I think it's valid, but I think it, sometimes becomes too much. I've always always appreciated Connolly because he he is he sought to come up with something that was similar to uh Ken Pomeroy's four factors for basketball, mm-hmm. which which is very tangible to me. And he came up with the five factors for football, which is like explosiveness, success rate, turnovers. Um and there's a couple others in there that I don't remember off the top of my head. And I like that. I like something like that that's systematic that you can look at four or five things and, and have a good feeling of, of what your team's going to be doing. Um, but like I said, it's Fremont's still very approachable. You can, you can DM him and, and, and he'll answer your questions. And, and uh, I like his system as well. I think he's got a really good system. I like the way he ranks special teams better than 
how Calmly does his. So those are still my two favorites. Um, there's some other ones out there now. Um, uh, I think it's the Ford, uh, Kelly Ford, Kelly has Ford the K, yeah. K Ford rankings. I think he's doing a really good job. Like I said, I really like Parker stats of war has got a really good system in place. Um, so those are kind of some, t- a couple newer guys that I think are doing a really good job um, with kind of their own version of, of stats. Um, but like I said, I go back to uh, Fremont is probably my favorite because his are all drive-based. I appreciate drive-based stats uh, and rate-based stats, yardage rate, and then points per drive, which I think, you know, if I picked one number that I'm going to follow, it's points per drive on offense and defense, which is what Fremont has done for years and has kind of gone under the radar. But um, <clears throat> that's what I would go with. And hopefully we see that number continue to tick up for this Kansas State offense, which, again, we've yes. seen it when all these different types of games where the offense gets into a, a shootout of all things against Oklahoma. I, I don't think anybody really knew how poor the OU defense was, obviously, going into that no. game. That's true. But they've done they've done it in every kind of manner. And I guess as I, I get set to catch you loose here, fan, looking ahead to next uh, this coming, uh, not ne- this coming, but the following Saturday, the road trip to TCU. What are what are maybe the areas you've seen just in watching them and what the numbers might suggest? What are some areas that K-State can maybe have an advantage and attempt to exploit in that matchup against the Frogs? Well, like I said, they they give up a lot of explosives, and I think they have a pretty average defense. So it's hopefully a game where our offense can get going, you know, and and maybe we can have, you know, one of those games where um, we score three points per drive against them um, in 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 the ball game, uh, and it may take that to beat them, just because I think they're, you know, I th- I think we'll do a good job of of slowing down their explosiveness on offense, but I do think they legitimately are pretty explosive on offense. But, you know, like I said, I don't, their level of competition so far um, for TCU, um, I don't know that they've faced, um, they certainly haven't faced a defense like ours and as good as ours. So um, I'll be watching that. Um, Will we be able to, to throw the ball with some success. I think, I think we're going to, as, as the season goes on, we're, we're going to see, can we throw the ball will be a big thing to watch for. Um, I'm not sure we can live um, running 12 quarterback powers per game like we did against Iowa state and, and keep Martinez healthy. Um, although, you know, he does a pretty good job of not taking a lot of shots, but it, it's football's funny at some point, even when you're not, trying to take a shot you may take a shot like you know the the, the play Skylar Thompson got hurt on against Texas Tech was just a fluke you know blitz that the guy didn't let up and just knocked him out so uh you never know what's going to happen in the game sure. of football um and and sometimes it's not those quarterback powers that get you hurt it's it's some fluke pass play or some fluke rollout that that you get you take the wrong shot so We'll see. Um, but like I said, I, I would say hopefully the offense can get going against a TCU defense that I think is pretty average. Yeah, and that uh, our offensive line sack rate, I know it doesn't look 
horrible by any means, but I think a lot of that is credit to Adrian Martinez and those those yes. legs and his elusive ability in the pocket, being able to yeah. avoid some of those hits. But like you said, I, I uh, one of the things I've always harped on is is K State's ability to to use the quarterback truly like a quarterback. And I think that's why you saw the offense and I know people don't want to hear it, but I think that's why you saw Messingham's offense last year be so solid. And and when you look at the success rate and whatnot, because Skyler was a probably the most competent passer we've had since Jake Waters and before Jake Waters, you would probably have to go all the way back to Josh Freeman. So we've not really been blessed with somebody who can be as precise as he is in the passing game. So hopefully some things will open up. And again, I know everybody's just kind of waiting for, for that, for those opportunities in the past game. I would love to think that this is a, a night, a, a late Snyder era or Snyder 1.0 era type of offense where we can just grind you, grind you, grind you, and then throw a bomb to Malik. But we haven't really shown that ability with any kind of consistency yet, but we shall see. It's been a, it's been a fun year thus far and hopefully uh, it will, it will continue for cat fans. Obviously got some big games upcoming here in uh, at the month, the uh, tail end of October on into November and uh, uh, November. Can't talk tonight, man. Uh, but fan, I got to thank you so much. Or uh, I feel I, I know I always call you fan, but Jimmy appreciate your time so much. <laughs> and for the handful of people listening to this, who don't know where to find you, where can they track you down on Twitter? <laughs> Yeah, KSU underscore fan. Um, I post quite a bit of stuff there. I also post on uh, and, and help out on K-State Online, um, which has now moved to uh, uh, On3 Network, uh, which has been a good move for for the, the group, I think. And um, those are the two major places that, that I put stuff out there, and, and hopefully people enjoy it and, and learn a little bit about the game from it. I cannot thank Jimmy enough for coming on to our show to deep dive into some of these advanced numbers. I, I am a huge stat geek, and I really do feel that these metrics paint a a more accurate picture of who teams are and how they operate on Saturdays. The game of football has evolved so much over the last decade plus, and, and really a key cog in that evolution has been data analytics. You're seeing now both offensive-minded and defensive-minded head coaches alike being far more assertive when they have the ball. They're realizing and seeing the significance of maintaining possession of the ball and, and what that does in terms of overall dictating the flow of the game. It wasn't all that long ago that a fourth and two on your own 38 was unequivocally a spot where you threw your punt team out there, asked your punter to crank one and flip the field, and then hoped that your defense would go out and get to the ball back with a stop. And now coaches are seeing, hey, we've got an offensive success rate of 63.2%. And this team really hasn't shown that it can stop us when we run around the left side. Let's see if we can get this first down, hold on to this ball and get points on this drive. And it's making the game more exciting in my mind. I, I feel like now anymore, any game you're tuned into, you're likely to see four, five, six, fourth down attempts. And historically, if you went back 10 or 20 years, you might see one or two, depending on whether or not it was a competitive game. Like I said, the, these numbers are really illuminating areas of the game that were just previously never thought of. And, and, and in a weird oxymoronic fashion, the math, the geeks getting into the game, so to speak, with their math and their numbers, the numbers still very much hold true to the overall ethos of football, which is 
can I beat the guy on the other side of the line of scrimmage? These advanced numbers really do measure how dominant you are. If you are an offense that has this high success rate and you are finishing drives on a consistent basis, you're going to have a very good shot to win. And you don't necessarily see that when you're just looking simple stats like yards per game and points per game. On the flip side for defense, you, you don't see numbers like havoc rate and points per, points per drive inside the 40 allowed and things of that nature. Like I said, there there's just so much more to this game that's being unearthed right now. And it's really fascinating for me to see. And, and I hope this interview more than anything else brought to light some, some areas of the game that you might not have thought about as a fan. I, I know for me, I, I always find it very intriguing and stimulating when, when somebody makes me look at the game in a way that I, I haven't previously. So again, a thousand thanks to fan for, for all of his insight with these advanced statistics, follow him on Twitter. If you haven't done so already, it's KSU underscore fan, follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. We greatly appreciate those of you who listen to this episode and the download and the stream on whatever your preferred app is, we'll obviously be back next week to break down the TCU game. And really, this is the Arlington stretch, folks. These next three games are going to decide whether or not this team is playing for a Big 12 championship on the first week in December or if it's watching from home. So buckle up, Cat fans. It's going to be a fun ride. This team has got a lot left in the tank in my mind. And I think that there's big things on the horizon for this Kansas State team. So We'll be here to break it all down for you here on College and Kimball. With all that being said, Cat fans, go enjoy the bye week. Rest up. Enjoy the time off. I'll close this one out the way that I always do. Cats, man, if you know, you know. Oh, boy,